Hello, and welcome to the Life Center Podcast. We're a church in Tacoma, Washington that exists to inspire our community to love and follow Jesus. To find out more about what's going on at all of our campuses, you can download the Life Center app, interact with us on social media, or visit lifecenter.com. Let's jump into this week's message. Thanks for listening. Hey, good morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to the book of Ephesians. We're going to spend some time there this morning. I want to welcome you. My name is Garrett. I'm one of the pastors here at Life Center. I'm so glad that you're with us today as we conclude this part of our journey in our series entitled Rooted. Uh, I hope that this has been an enjoyable few weeks for you. We've looked at some really important questions. Uh, we've wrestled with some different rhythms and, and spiritual disciplines. Uh, I hope this has been a, a fun time for you. Uh, I want to commend those of you today. If you've been a part of one of our rooted groups for the last 10 weeks, would you raise your hand real quick? Come on, can we applaud those of you who... Yeah. I'm so excited to graduate you through that program this Wednesday night, celebrate all that you've grown through. Uh, It's been a really, really exciting time. If you missed out on our last session of Rooted, we've got another one coming up next month for you to jump into. Uh, I really do uh, feel a a lot of excitement and and enthusiasm about this program we've been using called Rooted. You'll recall over the last few weeks, we wrestled with some really important concepts, some questions that Jesus followers really ought to have some type of answer for. You'll recall we began by asking an important question, who is God? And how then, our our next week, does God speak to us? Then we arrived at the conclusion that if there is a good God who speaks to us, has a will for our life, if there's good, there must be evil. So who is the enemy? What is the enemy's will for our life? We then moved into some some practical rhythms for how we ought to live our life. How do I make the most of my life? How do I manage the finances that have been entrusted into my care? How and why should I go about sharing with others what Jesus has done for me, what he he is doing? In fact, I I hope that you uh, were able to hear Pastor Tyler's message last week entitled, A Risky Reach. It really was an incredible teaching. Today I'm excited because we're going to ask one final important question to kind of land the plane on our series rooted. And that question is this, why is the church, would you say the church, why is the church important? Now my story with the church for the most part is pretty good. I grew up in church. In fact, as far back as I can remember, I was in church every single weekend. Uh, My mom, growing up, my mom was actually the secretary in the church that we attended here in town. It was a tiny little church uh, here in the north end of of Tacoma. And my mom, during summers where I was out of school and she didn't have childcare lined up, she'd just have me tag along with her for the day. And so I remember throughout the day, uh, I would spend time sneaking through all the weird back hallways in the church. And and when I got bored, I would see how quickly I could crawl underneath the pews from the back of the auditorium to the front, scraped up my knees with rug burns. I loved spending time at the church. I learned to ride a bike at the church. In fact, going to church, being a part of of the church, really, it's it's a part of my family story. I'm I'm a sixth-generation follower of Jesus. My dad is a construction worker by trade. He, with a hammer and nails, literally built the church that I grew up in here in town. In fact, many of you probably drive by this church almost every day without even realizing it. 
In fact, the, the roots for the church run deep in my family. One of the last things my dad did with his daddy before my grandfather passed away was to build this giant fellowship hall onto the property of the church we grew up in. There was a gymnasium and a kitchen and all of these little breakout rooms for groups and, and classes. I grew up with a rich appreciation for the church. But I also grew up in the Pacific Northwest. And as you can tell, I am a millennial, which means that I'm faced with another reality that many people like me don't hold the church in such high regard. In fact, many of my peers, well, the church isn't so great in their minds. See, in, in recent years, the church's good name has been tarnished and dragged through the mud. And in recent years, we've seen different scandals come out, different financial Scandals, different sexual scandals. We've seen people mistreated. We've seen things mismanaged within the church. And, and because of this, it's, it's caused critics and opponents from the outside of the church to infer that the church is not just not important, but that it's, it's bad. And what it's also done is it's caused skeptics from within the church to ask some critical questions that have led the, to them to some disastrous conclusions about the importance of the church. It's been hard for me to watch something that I grew up loving be dragged through the mud. In fact, I remember once I was, I was having a conversation with a friend who wasn't so high on the church. She worked at a coffee shop here in town. It was a place I went to frequently. She knew that I worked at the church, and one day we're having a dialogue, and she said, listen, Garrett, we get along great. That's, that's nice, uh, but you've got to know this. I love Jesus. Really, I do. In fact, I read my Bible almost every single day. I love Jesus. I want nothing to do with the church. She said to me, I think that the church just wouldn't accept someone like me. And I said, okay, well, tell me about that. Where does that come from? She said, every time I, I would try to get involved, the people were just too stiff and judgy. They held me at, at arm's length. It's like they wanted nothing to do with me. And see, my, my friend, she, because of this, bought into an idea that, that somehow church was optional. In fact, she said this to me. She said, I read my Bible every day, and as far as I can tell, there's nowhere in the Bible where it says that in order for me to have a relationship with Jesus, I have to be a part of a church. Now, at this point in my life, I was still a type six, which meant that I wanted to foster an environment of harmony and peace. I wanted a safe space where people could feel validated, valued, and safe to express different opinions. I hadn't gone through some stuff in life yet that had turned me into a type eight. And I swear, if you ever try to tell me that out in the marketplace, I might have some words for you. But, but that was a different time. So internally, I just kind of like did one of these Things where like, you know, a dog hears a weird noise and kind of like cocks his head because he's kind of confused. Like, you mean to tell me you read the Bible every day and you think there's nowhere in the Bible it says that in order to have a relationship with, with Jesus, you need to have a relationship with the, the church. That is a funny idea. And this is an idea that my friend didn't come up with all on her own. In fact, we saw this idea uh, birthed right in the first century church. The church has been dealing with this silly notion for a long time. Um, in fact, we've seen this notion now infiltrate our culture and, and our different forms of, of media. One thing that you should know about this church in particular is that we work very hard to make sure that there is unity uh, amongst our leadership team when it comes to major matters of doctrine and theology. 
If it's a big deal of God, it's a big deal to us. And so our leadership team and our pastors make sure that we've got absolute unity on these major things presented in Scripture. That said, there are some minor things or some some matters of conscience where we leave room for some healthy disagreement so that we can sharpen one another. One of the things that our leadership team is currently in process through is whether or not country music is a gift from God. (laughs) And now your pastor and mine... Pastor Tyler would infer to you that country music is a result of the fall of man. Um, One opinion. I am here to humbly contend before you today that country music is a gift from God, useful for teaching, rebuking, reproving, for training saints up in righteousness so that the listener may be equipped for every good work. I would even go so far as to say that if you have not spent a Saturday afternoon working in your backyard with Chris Stapleton's Traveler turned up to 11, you, my friend, have not lived life and life to the full. But I digress, and I submit to your leadership as my pastor. Pray for our team, would you? There's a country song that was written some years ago by a man named Tom Hall in 1972. Maybe you've heard it. He penned these words. He said, me and Jesus... We got our own thing going. Me and Jesus got it all working. Me and Jesus, we've got our own thing going, and we don't need anybody to tell us what it's all about. See, Tom, he he put lyrics and a melody to this idea that my friend had had bought into, this idea that we saw try to attack the the early church in its inception, this idea that somehow I can have a relationship with God without having a relationship with with the other followers of God. The, The problem with that idea is that it doesn't really have any backing in Scripture. In fact, there's there's really no legs upon which that thesis could stand. See, it's it's really quite a silly idea. The notion that we could have a right relationship with God outside of his design for such a relationship. See, the notion that our relationship with God could be full and rich apart from his design for that relationship, well, at best, friend, that is ignorant. At worst, that is arrogant. And those are the adjectives that I am choosing to use today because I'm in a church and because my four-year-old repeats everything I say. The notion that we could have a rich, full relationship with God outside of his design for such a relationship, at best, that is ignorant. At worst, it's arrogant. The church is important. I hope that by the end of our time together today, you will will see that clearly. But before we make the argument of why, let's make sure that we have clarity on what it is we're talking about today. Before we talk about why the church is important, let's ask this. What is the church? Because there's a a universal church, the capital C. There's the church throughout history. There's also the, the local church. Let's define the terminology here because so many of of my friends, I I think we have a misunderstanding about what the church is and that misunderstanding has led us to some goofy ideas. Friend, you, you can't decline his terms until you first spend time defining his terms. So let's, let's get clarity on what we mean by the church. I hope you have your Bibles in the book of Ephesians. 
Paul writes to some churches uh, in modern-day Turkey to provide clarity on what God's plan is for the church. And when Paul writes this letter, he has basically two audiences mind. First, he has uh, Jews, these people who, who followed Yahweh throughout the Old Testament. Their faith has been made complete because now they've accepted what Jesus has done to fulfill all of this Old Testament prophecy. And now these Jews are followers of the way. He's also speaking to Gentiles who came from a different socioeconomic, cultural, ethnic background, and now they have converted to accept Jesus as Savior. They're following his, his teaching. And so he writes to both Jew and Gentile alike to provide clarity on what God's plan for the church is. And he, he says this in Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to look at the imagery that Paul will use here. He says this in verse 18, chapter 2. He says, for through him, he's talking about Jesus, we both, the Jew, the Gentile alike, have access in one spirit to the Father. So you're no longer strangers and aliens. This is good news. He starts to use some, some familial language here. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members. Again, here's the family language of the household of God. Now look at how the, the imagery, the language changes here a little bit. He says this family is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Now, when he says apostles and prophets, when he talks about apostles, he's talking about the, the disciples that Jesus called to begin this new movement recorded in the New Testament. When he talks about the prophets, he's basically speaking of any author of Old Testament scripture. What Paul's saying here is, is this family, it is built upon a structure of what we have as defined scripture and Christ who is the cornerstone. He says this in verse 21, in whom this whole structure Again, this, this language here, being joined together, look at this, it grows into a holy temple for the Lord. And then he takes this, this communal corporate language of a structure and a family and he, and he personalizes it. And then he says this, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What is the church? Let's define the terminology. Let's make sure we know what we're talking about here today. The first image that we see painted uh, here in, in this letter to the church is, is this. The church, first and foremost, is a, it's a building. You say building? Listen, the church, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, it's, it really is a, a building. If we were all to just close our eyes for a moment and I were to say to you, what is the image that comes to mind when I say the word, the church? Most of us would think of a building. We would think, here is the church, here is the steeple, open the, the doors and, and see all the, the people. Listen, to argue that the church is not in some sense a, a building would be a silly argument in semantics. However, we at Life Center understand that it's far more than, than just a building, right? We, we put some language to it. We, at, at this church, we know that we don't just go to church, but we, we are the church. See, there's a duality to the nature of the church. It's, it's both an organization and an organism, living, growing. It's a place, but it's also a people. It is an address for the assembly. And can I tell you that it's been very, very frustrating for me to watch some of my peers opt out of this imagery. It's been very, very frustrating for me to watch many of my peers forsake the call in the book of Hebrews to continue to gather together with the other believers. Some have bought into this idea that somehow gathering is optional for them and they've, 
advocated for podcast church. Can I tell you, it's, it's really disheartening for me to see podcast pastors try to, to prop up this idea as if somehow I can have a relationship with God outside of being a part of, of a church. And, and I think that I have scriptural backing for this friend. No, you do not. Look at the example that we see set by Christ himself. In the book of, of uh, Luke, Jesus is going out and about. He's running some holy errands, and, and he's doing some different works of ministry. And it says this in Luke 4. It says, when he came to Nazareth, the town in which he grew up, it says these words, as was his custom. Now, I don't know about you, but when I leave for work in the morning, my phone lets me know a couple things. It lets me know what the weather's going to be like. It lets me know what my first appointment is that day. It lets me know how bad the stock market is looking for me today. And it also tells me how long it's going to take me to drive from University Place to my office here at the church. Now, the creepy thing is that I did not ask Siri to do that ever. She's just been spying on me as long as I've been alive, and she just knows where I'm going to go before I even go there. It's because she's watching, she's paying attention. My phone is, is looking at what my habits are, my daily rhythms, the pattern of my life. It knows the things that are my custom. And likewise, Jesus has a cadence, a rhythm, a pattern to his life. There's something that was customary for him. It's gathering together at the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Jesus isn't the only one that we see do this, by the way. Paul himself, the author of Ephesians, takes up this same custom. It says this in Acts chapter 17. Now Paul is out on some of his own holy errands, and it says this, as Paul went in, look, same language, as was his custom. For three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. It's funny to me to watch people think that somehow gathering at this assembly, this, this building, is somehow optional for them, when apparently it wasn't optional for Jesus or Paul. At best, it's ignorant. At worst, it's arrogant. Friend, if you think you've got a better line on how to live faith than Jesus or Paul, God help you. I don't know what to tell you. The church is a place that we are to gather and we are to do so frequently. And it is discouraging to watch believers forsake the call to gather together. Now, I want to pause here because I, I know that COVID has made this kind of difficult for some. Uh, in fact, those of you watching online today, maybe you've got a, a pre-existing condition or, or you're taking care of somebody, it would not be safe for them to go out and about and, and do things in society like normal right now. And listen, if, if that's you, please hear, I'm not trying to shame you or guilt you uh, in, in being a part of our online church. Rather, I actually want to commend you today for being resilient and for being creative. And in the midst of a global pandemic, when you couldn't come gather at a physical address, you found a way to gather at an internet address. I wanna commend you for that. In fact, church, could we applaud our online congregation? For being resilient, for being creative, for not forsaking the call, just finding a new way to be obedient. Good on you. See, friends, the church is a building. It's a gathering place. It's a place that we ought to gather frequently. The church is a building, but we understand it's, it's more than that. There's another image that Paul paints here. The church is a building, but also the church as a body. Somebody say body. And look at this in Ephesians 4, a couple chapters later. Paul continues on, and he says this, and, and God gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, 
Now, there's something important you need to catch here because I see this idea float around all the time within the church too, that, that somehow it is Pastor Tyler's job to lead your neighbor into a saving relationship with Jesus. Friend, today, can I lovingly, but also a bit type eightly point you back to the scripture that says it is the job of the pastors, the, the shepherds, the evangelists, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry? Friend, can I encourage you and remind you today that you will have opportunities that I, that Tyler, that Pastor Andy will never be afforded. There are conversations you will have with folks that they will never have with a pastor. There are opportunities afforded to you with your coworkers and your neighbors that we will never get. And our job, our honor, and our sacred privilege is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Paul continues on. Look at the language here. He equips the saints for the work of ministry, building up the body of Christ. And he continues on a few verses later. He says, rather, speaking the truth. Someone say truth. Somebody say love. love. You didn't say it like I said it. Oh, that's too bad. Okay. <laughs> we'll come back to that verse in a minute. Speaking the truth in love. We're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, again, there's that language, is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. And this is a very, very important statement that he makes here. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, why is this language, the church as a body, important to us? Because here's the, the hard reality we have to encounter is a body that is at war with itself cannot function. When there is infighting within the body, it cannot fulfill its purpose. And can I be transparent with you today? It's been really, really frustrating for me to watch my generation really, really get this one upside down. In fact, I'm really grateful today that I get to be the one to give this teaching today so that some of you can't just write this off as boomer speak. I'm going to be the one to say it. It's frustrating for me to watch the body go to war with itself. It's frustrating to watch this civil war within the church where instead of Speaking the truth in love, we settle for sending a tweet that someone will loathe. We've settled for virtue signaling rather than the virtue of self-discipline. We've become a generation of keyboard warriors when we were called to be kingdom workers. I am sick and tired of watching the body go to war with itself. And now listen, I, 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 I'd be remiss if I didn't acknowledge there are some of us in the room today. Listen, you've been hurt by the church. There was a wound that was inflicted upon you in a very real way by another member of the body. And if that is your experience with the church, if that is your story, then let me say to you, I am so sorry. On behalf of the church, of which I have some level of authority to speak, I am so sorry for the wound that was inflicted upon you because another member of the body failed to speak the truth in love because instead of, of building up, a member of the body sought to tear apart. 
Listen, friends, it's problematic when we don't get this right, when we fail to speak truth in a loving way. Sometimes we'll see that people will speak lovingly. They'll say kind, nice things, but they completely water down or over-sanitize the truth so that no one is ever able to be held accountable for wrong, so that there's never any correction or confrontation of things that are out of line within the body. But it's equally problematic if all we ever do is just speak truth and we throw tact and politeness and love out the window, then our message gets lost in our method because we're downright mean and we just hurt people. Friends, it should not be so. The body was called to build each other up in love so that we could grow. And if you've experienced a wound within the walls of the church, I am so sorry. If you know my story and some of what I've been through in life, you know that I've experienced some wounds from within the body. If you know the history of this place and what we just went through in recent years, you know that we have been through some hurt as well. I'm sorry. But can I invite you at the same time, while there has been hurt within the body, when it doesn't function properly, when the body gets it right, when the body does what it's supposed to do and functions properly, friends, there is so much joy to be found in belonging to the body. There is so much life and life to the full that can be found in belonging to a community of other Jesus followers who prefer one another and who love one another. In fact, this, this joy of belonging is something that is important and integral to this body of believers. See, the joy of belonging is actually the title of a book that was written some years ago by a man named Harold Gray. Harold was the son of Frank Gray, our founding pastor for whom our Gray Chapel is named. And at the behest of, of the then senior pastor, Fulton Buntain, Harold wrote this book about all the things that his daddy had did, building this church, establishing it, and, and talking about the culture here at Life Center. And he, he writes these words. I love what he said in The Joy of Belonging. He said, the bonds of fellowship are strong at Life Center. It's a place where you can find unique and caring friendships. And he writes this, check this out. In a world that is hectic, and impersonal. Mind you, this book was written in 1988. There was no dial-up internet. There was no Twitter. There was no social media. I wasn't even born yet, okay? I cannot imagine what Harold Gray would think if he saw how hectic and impersonal all our world is now. But he said this, here's how the church should be the antidote to that problem. In a world that's hectic and impersonal, Life Center enjoys genuine, loving fellowship amongst its people. He goes on to say, when speaking about another value of this place, he says, Life Center is a community of God's people who worship in joy, who serve in joy, and who believe that God wants people to enjoy life to its fullest potential, life and life to the full. Friend, there is so much joy to be found in belonging to the body. Finally, there's, there's a third image that we see Paul paint here. The church has a, a structure, for lack of a better term, a building. The church has a body. But we also see this, this third image here. It's the church as a bride. Would you say bride? Yeah. He, he concludes this picture in a scripture here in Ephesians 5. Nate, I wonder if you'd throw that up on the screen for us here. Just want to get a good look at... Uh... Oh, yeah, good. That word's still there. Okay. <laughs> 
I hoped uh, between the Thursday night gathering when we preached this the first time and the 8.30 that that word would go away, and it didn't. And then I hoped that between the 8.30 and this gathering, maybe that word would go away. But sure enough, that word, it's still there. Okay, here we go. I can't wait for these emails. It says this in Ephesians 5. Paul writes. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. That's to the Lord. Now, I won't ask for a show of hands, but I wonder how many in the room today are, are watching online. I wonder how many ladies, you, you've been mistreated, you've been manipulated, you've experienced a wound from within the body because some joker opened up his Bible, read that verse, slammed it shut and said, well, there you have it, sweetheart. Can I say to you that if that has been your experience with the church, and particularly with this part of Scripture, can I say to you that I am so, so sorry? Can, can, can I go so far as, as to say this, that that's just downright bad theology? That's lazy hermeneutics. Can I invite you, if, if you've been wounded by this piece of scripture being taught incorrectly, can, can, can I say, I, I'm sorry, I don't want to diminish or skip over or invalidate what happened to you, but can I invite you to hold that in your hand and also look a layer deeper? Because I think you'll find, if, if you hang with me for a minute, I think you'll find, as I have, that what Paul is really communicating here is quite a bit different than, than maybe how it's been mistaught. I think what he's saying here, actually, it's quite encouraging and quite empowering for believers. But we've got to make sure we, we read everything that's being said here. He says this in Ephesians 5, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Listen, in the original Greek, that word actually gets translated to submit. That legitimately is the most accurate translation we have for that word. I wish that there was some other word I could substitute in there to make it softer, to make it easier. There's not. That word means submit in every sense of the word. He goes on to say this, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ, now look at how he changes the, the imagery here, even as Christ is the head of the church, his, his body. Again, that language is brought back and is himself its savior. And then he says this, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now listen, as we journey through scripture, oftentimes we'll come across passages that are a little bit hot to handle. There are some things that, that are brought throughout scripture, some stories or some sayings of Jesus that we really need some cultural framework if we're to discern what's actually being said here. Sometimes it's helpful to know what was really going on behind the scenes and not just read things at face value and, and try to take a bad interpretation that way. In fact, some of Paul's other writings in the book of 2 Timothy, particularly about women in ministry, might be helpful with a little bit of cultural background so that you can see what he's, what he's really trying to say to the initial audience. Um, this passage, however, is not one of, of those passages. This part of scripture, I don't need a, an MDiv. I don't need a, a big degree in biblical studies. I, I don't need to know everything that was going on behind the scenes. All I have to do to get this one right is just read one verse earlier. 
Now bear in mind that when Paul wrote this letter to the church, there were no headers, there were no chapter uh, marks, there were no verse numbers, none of those tools that we have so that we can quickly reference things in a glance and, and then move away. None of those things were initially there. Rather, it was just a big, long letter. The church would get together, they'd read this letter in its entirety and then have a discussion about it. And Paul says something very, very important just before wives submit to your husbands, he, he says this in the preceding verses. He talks about all of this dysfunction and all of these unhealthy things that are taking place within the body, how it's gone to war with itself. People are harming themselves and harming other members. And he says, I don't want it to be like that amongst the body. Rather, I would have you be busy about doing this. He says this in verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, you want to know what would have been an offensive idea? You want to know what would have gotten Paul canceled in a heartbeat? The notion that somehow members of the body should submit to one another as if there was no hierarchy, that would have got him in trouble. The notion that a Jew would submit themselves to a Gentile? No. The notion that somehow someone from a, a higher level class would submit themselves to a, a lower tier member of society. No. The notion that a man would submit himself to another member of the body who might be a female. Paul. The image that Paul is painting here is one of mutual submission to one another. In fact, this language that he's using about how we're to follow Christ's example, it's similar to something that he says in his letter to the church in Philippi. In Philippians 2, he's talking about the example Jesus set, submitting himself, laying himself down, and it says that Christ didn't count his, uh, his godness as something that he could leverage over people. Rather, Christ considered others as more significant than himself. And in humility, we ought to adopt his same view of mutual submission. See, all too often we see these, these ideas of cultural submission and biblical submission go to war with one another. And this, this idea of cultural submission that says, let me put you beneath me. See, that's at odds with the biblical view of submission, which says, let me put you before me. Pastor Andy Stanley teaches on this particular passage of Scripture in, in regard to how married couples ought to, to manage their relationship. And he says this, if you were to see what this verse would look like in real life, it would literally be like this. Husband and wife come home at the end of a day, and they walk up to the front door, and the husband says to his wife, honey, after you. And the wife says, no, love, after you. And the husband says, oh, no, 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 babe, you've, you've, you've had a long day. Why don't you go on? And the wife says, no, 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 honey, you, you look tired today. Why don't you go on? And the husband says, no, 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 I insist after you. She says, babe, no, I, I love you. Why, why don't you go on? Ahead? And for all of eternity, they just continue to defer to one another. And no one ever actually goes through the door because they're just saying nice things to one another. That's mutual submission. But what we see represented in the world when we think submission, we think, no, 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 me first, me first, let me get my way, let me get my needs met, let me make my demands, you submit to me. And listen, friends, we do ourselves a disservice when we manipulate or pervert Scripture for our own selfish gain. But we also do ourselves a disservice 
If we allow someone else's manipulation, someone else's lazy hermeneutics to cause us to ignore essential portions of Scripture, and my fear is that there might be someone here today, every time you read through the book of Ephesians, you come across this Scripture and you just black out and blank over it because you're so triggered by a wound in the past. Friend, don't let somebody else's bad theology wreck yours. Because Paul continues on, he says this. Now, for sure, I'm editorializing here. So, so please understand, this is my commentary. This is not like some smart thing from Grudem's systematic theology. It's almost as if when Paul says, submit to one another, he addresses the ladies first. And he says, wives, submit to your husbands. And he really only has to say like two sentences about that because I think he's inferring maybe women were intelligent enough to know what that meant. When he addresses the fellas... <laughs> There's like 12 verses that he has to go through to spell out what this looks like. Like, hey, let me help you get it through your head. I'm not speaking out of personal experience, I swear. I love you, baby. Um, men, let, let me help you figure out what this mutual submission looks like. He says this in verse 25, husbands, love your wives. Love your wives, here's how, as Christ loved the church. Remember that example in Philippians. He gave himself up for her. He considered her as better than himself. He preferred her needs above his own. He goes on to say in verse 28, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it, he cherishes it. He takes it to Chick-fil-A. He says this, just as Christ does the church because we're members of his body. Again, there's that language. Then he does this callback to Genesis 2. He, he says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. At every wedding I've ever performed, I conclude by saying, now what God has put together, let no man separate, two become one. And then Paul kind of pulls the curtain back. He, he reveals what he's getting at. He's, he says, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. See, why is this imagery of the church as a bride important? It's important because if we miss the imagery here, if we miss this covenant relationship that Christ is establishing with his bride, if we ignore that, then we will water down the commitment that he makes to never leave, to never forsake, in sickness and in health, for better or for worse, because of his death, he and his bride will never part. Because of how Jesus elects to hold fast to his own bride, the church. Friends, we cannot separate ourselves from the church without indirectly separating ourselves from the groom. Friends, the notion that somehow we can have a rich, full relationship with God outside of his design for such a relationship is at best ignorant. At worst, it's arrogant. And maybe we need a small dose of humility today because now that we have defined the terms, we need to remind ourselves we didn't set the terms. He did. The terms are ours to accept or decline as is. That's what the church is. Why is it important? It's almost as if Paul anticipates this question. As he concludes his letter in Ephesians 6, he paints another image of the church's importance and its function. Maybe you've heard this scripture before. In Ephesians 6, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He says this, for we don't wrestle, uh, wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul paints an image of a battle. And Paul doesn't come up with this idea by himself. It's an idea that Jesus hinted at long beforehand in Matthew when he's speaking to one of his apostles whom he's called. He says this, I tell you, Simon, I'm, I'm gonna change your name to Peter. And Peter, your name now means rock. On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Friend, you only build up a gate if there's some violence that's about to ensue. And I love that Jesus puts the church on the offensive here. Friend, there is a battle that is coming, and in fact, there is a battle that is even here now. And you might think that I'm being a little bit extreme. You might kind of be put off by that language, like, bro, a battle? What do you, like, I'm going to Applebee's for lunch. Chill. Friend, can I remind you, every time that anxiety rears its ugly head and tries to cripple you, you're in the midst of a battle. Come on, every time you and that spouse that you're supposed to prefer or you and that child that you love and you prayed for for years, but they're just driving your nuts and you're about to say something that you regret, every time you find yourself in the midst of that circumstance, I promise you, friend, you are in a battle. In fact, some of you here today, because I've prayed through these things with you, your body is quite literally in a battle with itself, and it is ceasing to function properly. Friend, you are in the midst of a battle today, whether you realize it or not. Here's the sobering truth. I don't care how shiny your breastplate of righteousness is. I don't care how quick your moves are with your sneakers of peace. I don't care how sharp your sword is. If you're fighting that battle on your own, your days are numbered. The good news is that there's strength in numbers. There's something that happens when we link arms with other members of the body and go into battle together. And today I want to provide an opportunity for you to do that. In just a moment, I'm, I'm going to pray to dismiss you, but, but maybe you're walking through a battle here and now. And you need to link arms with another believer. Our, our pastors will be here up front. If you need to come pray through a battle, link arms, please come and do so. If you're watching online, we have a team of pastors and chat hosts that would love to jump into another room with you and, and they can pray for you there. Some of us were walking through the battle of our life. Friend, you don't have to walk through this alone. There's strength in numbers. I wanna invite you to do this. Would you pull out your, your phone? Some of us, uh, we, we've got a next step that we need to take today. There's something that the Holy Spirit has been impressing upon us. Maybe he's been encouraging us or kind of convicting us to, to do something. I wanna give you an opportunity to take your next step today. If you have your phone, you can go to the Life Center app, grab the next steps option. Or if you don't have our phone, you can just scan your camera on that handy QR code right there on the screen. It'll take you right to it. You've got a next step today. And, and for most of us, maybe, maybe it's, it's this. You realize that you need to invite someone to be a part of the, the church. You need to now begin to do the work of ministry. Friend, can I encourage you? You have an incredible opportunity in front of you in the next few weeks. Gosh, it's, it's almost as if our leadership team sat down looking at the calendar and, and planned to have evangelism and the importance of the church lead us right into the Easter season. Friend, you have an opportunity 
to invite somebody to church in the next couple of weeks that they, they might not ever say yes. Maybe you want to invite them to the physical address or to the internet, uh, internet address. You've got someone you need to invite to church. Maybe you're here. Your next step is that you need to get signed up for this next session of Rooted beginning Thursday, April the, the 22nd. We'd love to have you join us so that you can link arms with other believers, so that you can be built up, so that you can grow in faith. If that's your next step, then go ahead, click that button, give us your name, and our team will get in contact with you this week, all right? I want to invite you to stand now. I'm going to pray for you, and we'll send you on your way. Jesus, thank you for who you are. God, thank you that you have committed yourself to us, the church, your bride. Jesus, thank you that your love made the first move. You initiated, you gave us an opportunity to have right relationship with you. And now you set the terms for how we ought to have right relationship with other followers of you. God, I pray for my friends today uh, who are going to take that courageous next step of inviting someone to church. God, give them boldness, help them to see the opportunity that is presented to them. For my friends today, who are signing up for Rooted because they realize they need to grow up in faith. God, thank you for their courage today. Lord, for my friends today that for the first time or, or maybe just for the first time in a long time, they're coming back around, they wanna put their trust in you and follow after you. Jesus, we wanna celebrate those people today. In fact, if that's you, would you pray this prayer with me? Would you repeat after me? Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. I put my trust in you. Forgive me of my sin. Make me a new creation. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, can we applaud those that prayed that prayer today and made that decision? Congratulate you. Hey, we love you so much. I hope that you have a great week. You are sent from this place to go and be the church. We'll see you next week.